0: Thank you. You may be seated. I invite you to take your Bible and turn to Ephesians chapter 5 yet again this morning for our final time in this three week mini series of uh, doing some self scrutiny as we begin the new year. While you're turning to Ephesians chapter 5, I want you to get a number in your head. It's a, it's a dollar amount. Okay, you ready? Get a number, a dollar amount. How much would you give? How much would you give? For a personal, three-minute, direct conversation, you could think of it as a direct phone conversation with God for three minutes, and he would explain his will for your life. How much is that worth to you? Think about it for a minute. How many of you would give $100 for a personalized three-minute conversation with God about his will for your life? You'd give hundred dollars. Anybody give five hundred dollars? Some of you would give everything you have just to hear his voice. Um, you just haven't been listening correctly here, but um, uh, you would give five hundred. In the in the record so far was the early service. It was Evan Troxel two million dollars for that three million for that three minute conversation. Um, we long to know God's will for our lives, don't we? And we long particularly to know at a personal level, what it is God has for us, for young people. And I have young people in mind as I preach this morning and as I prepared this message. You want to know who you're going to marry and what you should do and where you should go to school. and. And sometimes as adults, we, we are in situations where we have job opportunities, and we don't know, you know, should we move to Colorado? And like, for example, Larry Moyer called me up and asked me, he said, Van, I need another speaker on my staff, and, and you get to hunt for six months out of the year. And I felt God calling me to the ministry, but then my wife said, no, absolutely not. And I mean, how do we know God's will? And there's all kinds of questions, and I know that we won't answer all of those questions this morning, but as we begin, as is our pattern this three-week period, we are bouncing out of the teaching of the Apostle Paul... In Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 17, I've been including 18, and let's look at it on the screen so we can read it together, all in the same translation. Remember verse 18 was, and be not drunk with wine, which is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, that contrasting image of a believer and and the controls in our lives I've been challenging us to memorize this. I don't know if you have or not. I made sure I had it memorized this week. Let's say it together as a congregation, shall we? Ready? Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Ephesians 5, 15 through 17. Now the first week when we read this, what I felt was the the first focus of the passage was to not be unwise or foolish. And so we looked at that, how not to be a fool. Uh, Last week we looked at that section then that emphasizes that we must be wise and make the best use of our time because the days are evil and today what I want us to bounce off of is that phrase therefore do not be foolish but understand what the will of the Lord is and so we want to focus on that concept by the way I have good news for you for 2020 I know what God's will is for your life for 2020 this is very helpful to do God's will there it is right uh, the will of God for our lives in two thousand and twenty is to do god 's will let 's read it again before we turn the screen off ephesians five fifteen through seventeen Here we go. look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Ephesians 5, 15 through 17. So our practice of these three weeks, our, our pattern has been to let Paul give us some instruction and then we bounce out of that, one of those phrases, and we illustrate that phrase in the teaching of our Lord, and we've been using familiar parables from the Gospel of Luke, and so we will, yet again today, use this pattern. But I thought it would be helpful for us to try to answer that question to begin with, because we, we all understand what we just read, essentially, but isn't the big question then in our lives, okay, how do we understand the will of the Lord we recognize it is the will of the Lord to do the will of the Lord in 2020. And our title of our sermon came from that look carefully, that we would have 2020 vision, looking carefully how we live in the year 2020. If you want to follow along in the notes, I thought it would be helpful for us to sort of have um, um, this is more of a talk part than a message. We're not really exegeting a passage. I want to. I want to share numerous biblical concepts here, and we're not really studying the Word. I want to lay a foundation, though, in answering that question in a very practical, uh, think of it as a pastoral counsel. And so there are four test questions or four guiding questions that I want to challenge our young people and our not-so-young people here today, that as we as we seek to live out God's will in 2020, how do we recognize the will of the Lord? Uh, The first thing is we ask this question, has God spoken? That's where it starts. Has God spoken to the matter? You see, we have a book that God has given us, and in that book, God has given direct instruction And the most direct instruction that God has given, we're going to call law, letter A. Has God spoken, and has he spoken law on this? You should have your Bible open to Ephesians chapter 5, because I want to illustrate that by some of the teaching on this pages. For example, in chapter 6, verse 1, look what it says. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Now, does anybody in the room not understand what God just said? that's pretty clear. You see, God has spoken directly to the point. So if you're a young person living under parental authority and your mom or your dad says something that sounds kind of like this, hey, go brush your teeth and make your bed. What is God's will for your life? God's will for your life is to go brush your teeth and make your bed. Why? Because God has spoken directly in no uncertain terms that children are to obey their parents. I mean, the most familiar part of this is like the Ten Commandments. So my neighbor's dog is barking really bad. If I shoot my neighbor, maybe that would solve... No, I can't do that. Why? Because it's not God's will for me to shoot my neighbor or his dog because God has said, thou shalt not kill. Particularly speaking of murder of humans there. Thou shalt not commit adultery. When God has spoken and the Bible is filled with that direct instruction, when I'm out on a Saturday night, a lot of that keeps me safe. It just guides me. God's already spoken. I I know my decisions that I'm going to make. And he's spoken directly to it. Now, there's also, adding to law, there's instruction. There's biblical instruction. So, for example, let your eyes go up to verse 22. All right? And I, I, I simply chose these passages because our Bibles would be open to this page. For real. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife. Now, there's some direct command there, isn't there? But then he goes on to teach about how this is a reflection of Christ and his love for his bride, the church, and how the church is to surrender to Christ. And so there's instruction. And so one of the things I can do is I can read that and I can actually learn how to be a better husband by receiving instruction from God's word. So there's direct law or commandment, there's instruction, and then there's principles. There are principles or applications that we can make from God's Word. For example, let your eyes go up to chapter 5, verse 3. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you. Okay, that's pretty direct. So there's a mixture of law and instruction. Okay, but let's keep reading. As is proper among the saints... Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Okay, let your eyes go down to verse 11 on this same theme. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them, for it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. All right, so we have, we have a lot, kind of a, a melding here of some direct law instruction Concerning our speech, concerning the things that we watch, concerning the things that we're going to talk about, based upon sexual purity, based upon appropriateness, based upon uh, uh, propriety for a Christian, all right? So an application through principle is, I'm very careful of the movies I go to because of this passage, so that I don't have... Uh, the celebration or the entertainment of the things that are sinful or done in darkness for my primary source of entertainment where I'm paying money to be entertained by things that God has condemned there's a principle there and your your conviction and principles might not work out exactly the same But you understand, you take these concepts of God's word and then you apply it to your life, you teach it to your children, and so the law of God and the instruction of God turns into conviction and principle in my life so that what? So that when I want to know if I'm doing God's will, the first question I ask is, has God spoken to this point? Has God spoken to this point? And you know what? If you don't pay attention to this point, You can just kind of forget the rest. Because you're going to end up in self-destruction anyway. So the takeaway on this is to know the will of God demands that one know the word of God. To know the will of God demands that one know the word of God. Now, the funny thing about this is even a lot of people who are raised up in church, I've been going to church all my life. Uh, My daddy, my granddaddy sat right here in this church. I've been in this church. I come to this church. But you still... Know very little about the Word of God because either you, you, it's just not something you've paid close attention to. And it is interesting to me how many people who have been exposed to the Word of God, who don't know the Word of God, are just as guilty as those who almost have no exposure by making life choices that are outside of the Word of God and therefore they're outside the will of God. Many people who have been exposed to the Bible don't pay attention to the Bible for their decision-making processes, and therefore they make decisions that end up having damaging effect upon them because it's outside the will of God. The will of God is always inside the Word of God. Number two question is, have God's people spoken? So I'm asking myself, Paul said, 2020... Know the will of God. The will of God for me in 2020 is the will of God. How do I know the will of God? Question number one, has God spoken? Question number two, has God's people spoken? I'm not talking about Jeremiah and Isaiah and Paul and Peter and James. Uh, Those are the word of God. I'm talking about, uh, first of all, I'm talking about parents. How was I raised? What was I taught? What kind of instruction was fed into my life from a young age on? Uh secondly, how about teachers and pastors? I'm thinking about, even at a young age, I'm thinking about Joel and Toothman down there in preschool. Do you know how much they learn? They learn how to stand straight in line, they learn how to wash their hands after they blow their nose, they learn how to say yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, they learn how to memorize John 3:16. I mean, it's pretty true, isn't it? Everything you need to know you learn in kindergarten. It's pretty true. Okay, but when you're a teenager and you no longer regard the things that you were taught as a child because you think that's childish, guess what? You end up living outside the will of God. You end up making bad decisions simply because you disregard your teachers. Proverbs is filled with that warning. Has God spoken? If he has, live inside it. Has God's people spoken? If they have, then do what they say. Takeaway, to know the will of God is to welcome godly influence. By the way, that's a, that's a little bit of a, a tell. That's a little bit of a, um, a way of knowing whether or not you have a spirit of wisdom or if you have a spirit of arrogance in your life is when people try to give you instruction, what is your heart attitude? If you're humble and people are trying to instruct you, you'll receive that instruction because that's what God uses to guide you in your life. Third question is Has God given wisdom and insight? Has God given wisdom and insight? Let's ask three more questions. Letter A Am I making biblically informed decisions? Now, let's try to make it a little bit more practical. You need a new vehicle. Is it God's will for me to buy a Ford, a GMC, or a Honda? You know, that's up to you. It's probably a Honda or a Ford. It's probably not a GMC. Why? Because that's a wisdom principle. All right, so there you go. So that's how that works, you see? But actually, let me let you in on a secret. If you surrender to the word that God has spoken, and you have surrendered and listened to the people that God has given to speak, and you're living out the wisdom principles of God's word, you can just pretty much go do whatever you want. That sounds radical, but I mean it in the framework of under the law of God, the people of God, the instruction of God, buy in and then just go do whatever you want. And guess what? God will get you where he wants you. He, you will not miss his will. You say, well, what if I'm going to go to this school or that school? Well, if you want to go to that school, go to that school, but stay surrendered and God will close the door if you don't go to that school. I mean, it's, it works, but it, it's foundational. If you're not getting Point one, you won't get point two, and if you haven't got point two, you won't get point three, and you're a disaster waiting to happen now. And so we ask ourselves, am I making biblically informed decisions? What is wise? Is this going to bring debt into my life? Is this, is this something so... Uh, it's a hard question. I was joking about... Um, I was joking about Larry Moyer inviting me to join his staff so that I could go hunting like six months out of the year for illustrations for my speeches, my talks. But on a more serious level, it's not easy, is it? When you have a great job, you have a great home, you have a great property, you have a great community, you have a great church, you certainly have a great pastor, you have many things, all just great. And then you get a call from, say, Idaho and and all of a sudden there's this great opportunity in Idaho well what are we supposed to do well you look you look you walk through this has god spoken have god's people spoken but then has god given wisdom and insight and you make sure am i making a biblically informed decision what examples good and bad can give guidance well i have a buddy that took that job in idaho and they were so his wife was so lonely she left him and flew back to massachusetts to her mom so maybe we don't want to do that even though it's a great job you know you, you apply lessons learned What examples, good and bad, can give guidance? Some of you have had older brothers and sisters who've gone before you and made either terrible decisions or great decisions, and you can look at them as a younger sibling, and you can say, I see what happened to them. I don't want that, or I do want that. I want to do what they did. I did that in my decision for Bible college. My oldest sister went to Appalachian Bible college. She's nine years older. She was dating a young man in our church who was 10 years older than I. Oh, Howard Merrill, he was kind of my hero. So when he was 16, I was six. And I thought he was the coolest guy around. And and I guess my sister did too, because she's married to him and has been married to him all these years. And they went to Appalachian Bible college. And so I wanted to go to Appalachian Bible college. It worked for them. It worked for me. All right? And you know what? If God had wanted me somewhere else, he would have, through guidance of people and circumstances, made that clear. But I wasn't going there to live in the flesh. I was going there to seek the will of God for my life. And so what examples, good and bad, can give guidance? Let her see what have I learned from past experiences? It is remarkable to me how often people will repeat behavior which ends in disaster in their lives. People will cycle through marriages this way. Well, you just did the same thing you did before. How did you expect that to change? Can't we learn from experiences? And so God packages this all together, and the takeaway is that to know the will of God, one must think biblically. We must think biblically. Now, how about the leading of the Holy Spirit? Is the Holy Spirit leading me? One thing you know is that the Holy Spirit will never lead contrary to the Word of God or the people of God or the wisdom of God. The Holy Spirit works in coordination with the Word of God and the people of God that God has given you in your life. So, young people, you can't look at your mom when you're 15 and say, hey, by the way, I'm moving out next week. I'm going to move in with my friends. Well, how are you doing that? The Spirit of God is leading me. It's amazing the things that we can get ourselves convinced that the Spirit of God is leading us. So what about this Holy Spirit leading? Well, let's just talk in real quick general terms. It is a more advanced topic, and by the way, it's going to be touched on and taught at our Bible lecture series the last Saturday in February, so the last Friday in January is the Wild Beast Feast outreach and Larry Moyer weekend, the last weekend of the last Saturday in February, my pastor friend John King from Princeton, West Virginia, he's just retired. He's 71 years old. He's an outstanding Bible teacher. He's going to have our Bible lecture series in here, 9 to 2, on a Saturday there, last Saturday of February, on the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. How does the Holy Spirit minister in the life of the believer today? What does that look like? What is the filling of the Spirit? And what, is the, what does it mean to quench the Spirit? And, and I'm referencing some of that here. How do you know the leading of the Spirit, that often easily overlooked member of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit? I hope you'll make put that on your calendar and join us for a wonderful day studying our Bibles under Dr. King. But for one thing, the Spirit of God never leads, never leads us without prayer. Prayer and the leading of the Spirit are essential. If you're going to say the Holy Spirit is leading me, then you are spending time in prayer. Secondly, there's going to be peace. God is not the author of confusion. And when the Holy Spirit is leading you, there will be a peace and a confidence. There will not be an uncertainty or indecisiveness. Thirdly, there is prompting from the Spirit. And this is in all different ways i 've been joking about Larry Moyer. The Holy Spirit prompted me during that video to apply for that job no so that 's nonsense right but But some of you know very well you look across the cubicles at your office and you just saw the top of someone 's head and all of a sudden you had a burden that that person had a need today and And that you're going to make a point in the next hour to get by that cube. And you're going to stop by. And then you recognize when you stop by that that person was hurting. And they needed to speak to someone who could point them to Christ or to comfort them. And the Spirit of God prompted you, didn't he? But you know, when you're in the flesh and when you're not praying and when you don't have peace in your life, there's no prompting. And don't lay something on the Holy Spirit that doesn't belong to him. That's actually blasphemy. Fourthly, when you have prayed up and you have a peace and then that prompting of the Spirit has taken away anxiety, do you have biblical permission? Then again, this is subject. The Holy Spirit will never contradict the Word of God. The Holy Spirit will never lead you contrary to the Word of God. So the takeaway here is to live out the will of God, I cannot quench Or grieve the Spirit. To quench the Spirit is to suppress what you know the Spirit of God wants you to do. To grieve the Spirit is to do what you know the Spirit of God doesn't want you to do. Kind of flip side of the same coin. We'll talk about that at that Bible lecture series in more detail. Let's throw in a word of caution here while we wrap this section up. As I said, this is just kind of practical counsel here from the pulpit. First of all, it is my opinion that feelings are often unreliable. Start with and stick to the facts of God's word. That's the foundation. Feelings are very, very difficult to discern. You're going to feel all kinds. Of, I feel like quitting my job today. Well, I feel like quitting my job every other day. It doesn't mean you quit your job. What's God's will here? I really feel like buying that big hopped up truck with the big wheels on it. That's just a good feeling. It makes me feel good to look at that truck. Well, feelings will just get you in a lot of trouble. And emotions are unreliable. This is where a lot of people get in relationship trouble because they let their feelings dominate truth. They let their feelings take over when God has spoken to things. But I don't care. I want this. I want to feel good right now. And we make disastrous decisions. Guard against letting your life be guided by feelings. Secondly, I am of the opinion that, and I think it's biblical, that visions and dreams are rarely God's pattern for directing the believer. I I sense more and more that people are seeking this kind of thing uh, in, in our churches. Visions and dreams are rarely what God uses. Now, it is true that in Scripture, God used dreams and God used visions. It is true that we have wonderful testimonies from uh, different places in the world, China and the Middle East, and God is revealing himself to people directly in Christ. And um, in Islamic countries, a young person will give a testimony that they had a dream and they understood who Christ was through that dream. God can do that. God will do that. But for most of us, and you have this dream and you wake up and you have this whole new life direction because of a dream, I would say, don't do that. That's why you need counselors in your life. Uh, People have said to me, "God God spoke to me in a dream last night. And my first question for all through the years when I hear that is always the same. How do you know it was God that spoke to you in that dream? This is very difficult. So be very careful. That's why you want to keep wise, godly counselors around you. That's why you want to be immersed in the word of God. Coincidence and strange circumstances should be minimized. Do not seek for the unusual. God has a book. Read it. Obey it. Live it. And let me say it again. Then do whatever you want to do. That sounds radical, but I, I really think it's true. There's a guy that was really struggling to know God's will, so he got this idea that he would use the open window system for seeking God's will with his Bible. He didn't even, he was looking for guidance in God's word, he couldn't find it, it just wasn't coming clear, so he opened the window, placed his Bible on the windowsill, and he let the breeze coming through the window whip the pages, and then he stuck his hand in there and put his hand, his finger on a verse, thinking God will direct me, and he put his finger down on the verse, and he pointed at the verse, and he read it, and it said, and Judas went and hanged himself. So he thought, oh, that'll never do. So he he pulled his hand back. He let the wind blow some more pages. And he did it again. And he ran his finger in there and it said, go thou and do likewise. See, oh, he didn't like that either. So he let the wind blow some more and he stuck his finger in there and he said, one more verse. Come on, this has got to be it. And he looked at the verse and it was, whatsoever thou doest, do it quickly. <laughs> so my point is... I doubt that ever happened, but do not seek the unusual. Well, young people, particularly, there's some, I think, some a practical framework of thinking about the will of God. God's word has a lot to say about His will. Uh, how do we illustrate this? We know from Paul in Ephesians five seventeen that we are to understand the will of the Lord, and so it's true. Uh, though we're saying it a little bit tongue in cheek, God's will for my life in 2020 is to do God's will. That's what God's will is, and that's all God's will is. Um, maybe let's continue to learn, and, and let's learn from the negative. And what came to my mind was that most familiar parable in Luke chapter 15. And I want to do something that is a little bit of a stretch, biblically speaking, and. Uh, it's not my norm to take a passage of Scripture and use it in a way that it really wasn't intended to be used, okay? So this is a trilogy. This is the, the trilogy of three stories that our Lord tells of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son, The point of the passage has to do with salvation. It has to do with the the faithfulness of a pursuing, seeking God. There's also an element in there where he's poking the Pharisees in the eye with the story of the older brother of the the prodigal son. We call him the prodigal son. What I want to do is take that story, and I want to make an application that I think is legitimate, but it's really not the whole purpose of the passage But for our purposes today, as we consider God's will, let's make this prodigal young man a case study on what it looks like to live outside of the will of God. Will you allow me to do that? Sure you will. Three more questions. Let's read the passage, and then let's ask these three questions And let's remind ourselves that it is a very, very serious thing to allow ourselves to not take seriously the pursuit of God's will in my life, okay? Verse 11, chapter 15 of Luke, and he said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had, and he took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his field to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself... And before you, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe, put it on and put a ring on his hand, put shoes on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. And they began to celebrate. What a story. What a story. We're going to cut it right there and we're going to omit the important teaching that we learned from the older brother. We're looking at this man, this young man, as a case study on what it looks like to be out of the will of God and how to come back into the will of God. First of all, what I see in this young man, verse 12, where he goes to his father and he very inappropriately asks for his inheritance is, first of all, a restlessness of heart. Here's the warning signs. The question number one is, what are the warning signs? What are the warning signs that you're living outside the will of God? First of all, a restless heart. And it's possible you can hide a restless heart for a long time. It's possible that this young man, maybe he's 20, 22 years old. We don't know. It doesn't say. We don't need to know how old he is. But it's possible, isn't it, that since he was 14 years old, he's awakened in the morning by his father to go do the chores, to go milk the cows, to go feed the goats, to go grain the chickens. And he thinks in his heart, I can't wait to get out of this house. See, he's got a restlessness of heart. He's discontent with the God-ordained structure of his life. God has ordained structure to us, hasn't he? And we have family structure, and we have community structure, and we have church structure, and we have school structure, and educational structure. These structures are part of God's will and plan, and when I rebel against the structures in my life, ultimately they'll lock you in a cage. And this young man with restlessness of heart destroys his life because he simply is dissatisfied with the blessing of God for today. It shows out in a life that's longing for self-rule, number two. He's longing for self-rule. We're looking at the warning signs. Look at the end of verse 12. He says, Father, give me the share of property that's coming to me. And he divided, the father did his property between them. We don't know if this really happened or if anything really like this happened. Some say that it could have. What you have is the picture of a father who's been very successful and he has great resource. And so his younger son comes to him and in in almost a literal way spits in his face and says, I wish you were dead. I want my inheritance now. It is absolutely inappropriate. It is absolutely disrespectful. But because his restlessness of heart, and because of his longing for self-rule, I don't want my pops telling me what to do. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. So his father has to liquidate, evidently, enough of his resources to be able to divide the farm and keep it and be productive. Give a third to the oldest son and a third to the younger son. And now the third, the younger son, with a wad of cash in his hand. Look what it says in his desire for self-rule he adds to that number three a desire to be free Uh, not many days verse 13 later the young son gathered all that he had and he took a journey and he said i'm getting away from this dead old town where my dad tells me what to do and where i've got to work and i nobody's going to tell me what to do and off he goes out from underneath the god-ordained structures of his life in his desire to be free free from what First of all, free from routine and responsibility. That's boring, isn't it? That's taken me nowhere. No, actually, it's teaching you everything you need to know about the rest of your life. The routine and responsibility. Secondly, rules and authority. This guy simply wanted out from underneath parental authority. My mom and dad are ruining my life. No, that goes back to number one question on knowing God's will. Has God spoken? Yes, God has spoken. Well, I don't like what he said. Well, that's why you're going to end up out of God's will. It doesn't matter if you like what God said. God spoke truth, and he spoke truth to you because he loves you, and he wants what's best for you. And so he wants out from, me, from underneath household rules and parental authority. Look what it says He says, so he went out, and what did he do? And when he had, it says, verse 13, not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had, took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. He's now exposing his true self, isn't he? In the old King James Bible, where it's translated in the ESV, reckless living the old King James Bible you might have one in your lap it says riotous living you can hardly beat that translation riotous living the NIV adds to it wild living riotous reckless wild living the new American standard put the word loose translated the English word loose in there for that word prodigal It's the word prodigal. Loose living. It paints the picture, doesn't it? Loose, wild, reckless, riotous living. This is the life. Well, actually, it's really not. He had a misguided value system, didn't he? He had a misguided value system, number four. And we recognize by the way he went out and what he did in his reckless, riotous, riotous living, spending everything that he had that he was Largely, letter A, pleasure-driven. Often, a misguided value system is pleasure-driven. So it's like a guy who's the skipper, and he's up in the, in the wheelhouse, and he's got a compass that's out of whack. The compass of this young man is off because his compass is, is determined by his own personal pleasure and feelings. You cannot trust that. He just wants to feel good. He just wants to have a good time. Why does God want to ruin my good times? Well, he really doesn't. He wants to preserve your good times. Look what he says. Often pleasure-driven, let her be. it was reckless and irresponsible. It was reckless and irresponsible because what did he do? Without a thought about tomorrow, without a thought about what he was doing, there, the end of verse 13, he squandered his property. He spent all his money. So we don't know how much time's going by here, but uh, I would say that maybe a minimum of 18 months, maybe three or four years, enough time for him to spend an incredible volume of money and enough time for climate, the climate to shift and for the rainy season and a couple of rainy years to give way to dry years so that the country was hit with a drought that was bad enough that nobody had work. So months and months had to go by. And so this pleasure-driven, reckless and irresponsible young man makes decisions that are lacking moral principle and wisdom you see, when, you're, when, you're mis, when you have a misguided value system and your compass your moral compass is off, it's going to take you places you don't want to go because you're often pleasure-driven, you're often reckless and irresponsible, and you're often lacking in moral principle and wisdom. In other words, you won't say no to yourself when you're supposed to say no to yourself. And you won't say yes to yourself when you're supposed to say yes to yourself because your compass is all out of whack. And the next thing you know, you're in terrible shape. And this young man's world now, does this man's world look anything at all like the world his father gave him? Not at all. Look, the famine has hit. Look what we have. And he spent everything, verse 14, a severe famine arose in the country. He began to be in need. And notice how all of his friends have left him when his money ran out. So he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into this field to feed pigs. And he was this Jewish boy longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. And there he is on his knees in the slop of the mud in front of the feeding trough, and he's got his arm past his elbow down in the slop trying to find a half eaten apple core that maybe he could get some nourishment from, some kind of a peas or pod or corn husk that was slopped to the hogs. He's so hungry. What a picture, huh? What a great picture of where the skewed compass of an immoral, amoral, self-guided, pleasure-driven individual can find themselves. It goes back to the first page of the message, doesn't it? Has God spoken? Has God's people spoken? Are there wisdom principles? He violated all of that, and now he's up to his armpits in pig slop trying to eat some food to stay alive Where does this often end up? This isn't in the story either, but I was just thinking about it. Where does this end up? First of all, hearts are broken. Hearts are broken, aren't they? Hearts broken. You know, she's not mentioned in the story, but the boy has a mom if she was still living, what do you think his mom's heart did when she heard her son scream at her husband and demand that the inheritance be given? When he, she heard her, her boy tell her husband, you can take this farm. I don't want it. I'm out of here in this dead town. He broke his mommy's heart relationships were divided relationships divided the older brother can't stand his younger brother now and that brings out a real problem with his heart but the whole family is just broken up thirdly life resources are wasted didn't take that young man very long to spend what it took his father a lifetime to accrue And in his selfishness and in his arrogance and in his lack of wisdom and being far outside the will of his Father and the will of God, he wasted what another man had invested his entire life in. And resources are wasted, and now he's sin-damaged. He's sin-damaged. We don't have the details, but we know he is. The immorality, the drunkenness, the parties, the foolishness, He's sin-damaged, and now, because of the famine, and he's hungry, and no friends, there's absolutely all kinds of unanticipated consequences, aren't there? And there always is. You get outside the will of God, and there's going to be all kinds of things you never saw coming. Well, I never saw that coming. Well, that's why your dad said don't do that. Well, what does return and restoration look like? It won't take us long to wrap up. When he came to himself, it says in verse 7, isn't that a great phrase? And when he came to his senses, is what it's saying. First thing is recognition, isn't it? Recognition that self rule equals self destruction. This is a word of humility, isn't it? He was humbled finally in his arrogance on his knees in hog manure up to his armpit in hog slop, fishing around for some food, he comes to his senses and he realizes, why am I here? And he believes to himself and he says, my father's hired servants have a better life than this. Maybe my father would hire me as one of his servants if I can no longer be a fit son. It's a powerful story, isn't it? But it begins this return back home with a humility, recognition that I'm on a self-destructive road. Secondly, repentance, look what he says, 18 and 19, I will arise and I will go to my father and I will say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned before you. That's what he's saying. I've sinned against God and I've sinned against you. So turning away from the sin and returning to the father, that is what repentance involves. The next thing is, it's change of direction. The next thing is reconciliation. Relationships must be restored for him to move forward within the will of God. I will arise, verse 18, I will go to my father. I will say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose, there it is, and he returned. And he came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Someone was just talking to me about how a Jewish father would never run. It would have been inappropriate. That's the whole point, part of the whole point of the story, is that the father was willing to break all protocol and run to his broken son. It's a beautiful picture. And he's waiting on the porch, and they've been watching And they've been waiting. Well, he had to recognize that self-rule was going to lead to self-destruction. He had to repent of his sin first before God and then to his father. And he had to make reconciliation. And then there was great reunion, wasn't there? Great reunion. Joy is restored. Kill the calf. Put the robe on him. Give him new shoes. Give him a ring. Here's what it sounds like. His father grabbed him. If the young man wasn't weeping, I'm sure the old man was weeping. The young man, as soon as he could get his voice, what did he need to say? Father, I've sinned against God, and I've confessed and forsaken that, and he's forgiven me, and now I confess to you my sinfulness to you. Will you please forgive me? That's how you get back in the will of God you confess and forsake and you repent and you reconcile and you restore and then there's great reunion and joy listen there's safety there's great safety and security within the will of god use psalm 84 for your devotional with this in mind it'll encourage and bless you there is safety and security young people god is not out to ruin your good times The will of God is the pathway to blessing. Don't fight it. The will of God is the pathway to blessing. When God has spoken and God's people have spoken and and there's instruction and principle and convictions established, that's the way of blessing. And it will go well with you, God said. The will of God is less about information and more about obedience. Do you realize that? Most of us don't need more information to discern the will of God in our lives. We simply need to obey what we know. When we're living inside the framework of obedience to God's word and submission to the authorities in our lives, we can do whatever we want. Now, the second you do something that you want that's outside obedience to the will of God, the Spirit of God will convict you. A wise person welcomes instruction. Proverbs says in three different places, verse 11, chapter 11 is just one of them, that in the multitude of counselors or teachers, there is safety. Multitude. You welcome instruction. That's a litmus test for your attitude, whether or not you'll receive instruction or whether you fight your parents. So here it is, the the, se- the, the sermon in one sentence, is, this is all you needed to know today. The will of God for 2020 is to know and live the will of God. Now go and do it. There it is. God's will for 2020 is to do God's will. Let's stand together and bow our heads, will we please? Some of you might need to run to the cross today. You need the blood of Christ to cleanse you from all sin. Some of you don't know Christ and you need to admit your sinfulness and receive Him as your Savior and and begin a new walk in a new way as a new creation in Christ. I wonder if there's some restless hearts that need nipped in the bud here today. Maybe you're restless to get out of your marriage. Maybe you're restless to cut corners for wealth. Who knows what 's going on inside hearts that 's where it began with this young man. I just can 't stand this farm. My dad is nuts, and next thing you know it 's on his face in a pig pen why don 't you just embrace? The reality that God has spoken, and you can walk in His will and obedience today and learn the joy of an obedient walk. There's great freedom in obedience, not in self rule. I'm going to linger up towards the front here. Others will be stacking the chairs. There'll be a lot of chaos and hubbub. Nobody will even notice. You come and talk to me if I can be of counsel to you today. Do you need to be saved? Do you need to get right with God? Come see me. I'll help you or I'll connect you with someone who can help you. And so, Father, we need your help today. We need our hearts tender. We want to live out the will of God. We want to walk carefully. We want to be circumspect in 2020. We want to be discerning. We don't want to be foolish. We want to be wise. And we want to have knowledge as to what your will is for us. So help us to be characterized by students of your word, to make biblically informed decisions, to allow the authority frameworks around us to be that of security, not something we resist. May your hand of blessing be upon us as a family, as individuals, as a church this year. In Jesus' name we ask this. Amen. Amen. God bless you as you go. Please stack the chairs, okay? I'll be up front here if you need me.